The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Oh, look at this. This is a good one. Some suggest that Parker's powers include the male spider's ability to hypnotize females. Stop, come on. <laughs> yes, my spider lord. <laughs> Can we just like stay up here all day? It is so crazy down there. That's right, folks. Spider-Man is in fact Peter Parker. Listen, I did not kill Mysterio. The drones did. The drones that are yours. Does any part of you feel Mike? Mike! Oh man, I mean, just the other day. As Savannah and I were watching Captain America the Winter Soldier for the umpteenth time, debating our top five MCU films. Just the other day we were doing that. It's so hard to narrow down a top five Marvel movies. And after last night, I'm convinced I will have to revise that list. How hyped no. are you, Michael Holly? No. After the official release, it was leaked, but the official release of Spider-Man No Way Home Coming in December. How hype are you? I uh, look. I'm hyped, Mike. I'm excited. Uh, you can see this setup with the last movie. You knew this was coming. At, at the end of the movie, the exposure of Spider-Man as yeah. Peter Parker. You knew this was a yeah. nice little setup. But I think the top five. I, I, I'm more interested now in your top five. Yours. Oh, don't do me that. Don't do me that. Because, because <sighs> you know, I don't think. Spider-Man is not in there. Spider-Man is not in the top five. It's just oh no no top five is just, the other two are not. No, the other two this are not. I'm saying get, after it, this one, I may have to revise it, bro. The multiverse is being opened, which there I don't no know vacancy. why Doctor Strange would be so reckless with. The Sorcerer Supreme should be more responsible than to open the multiverse. But I mean, we're getting Alfred Molina as Doc Ock, which by the way, like top three, and he ain't two or three. What a top movie villains ever was Alfred Molina's portrayal yes. of Doc Ock yes. in Spider-Man 2. Okay, Agreed. so we're getting him. We're getting uh, Willem Dafoe as Green Goblin. You saw the, you saw the Green Goblin bomb uh, fall down. Uh, yeah. You get, uh, you will get Jamie Foxx's Electro is rumored to be in it. And if you're gonna open up the multiverse verse to the villains, then for damn sure, we are getting Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield. No question about it. This is gonna be epic. So I think my point is this will have to crack my top five which is probably as hard as, as narrowing down my top five MCs, and it changes depending on which week you ask. So you really want me to answer the question, like my top five Marvel movies? Yeah, well, you want I, me actually, to do that? Actually, yeah. I mean, yeah. Why not? Why not? Because okay. you said it's a debate. Right. It's a debate with Savannah. So where, I, I, let me ask you this: Where did the, where did the debate happen? Yeah. I'm sure you guys probably had three in common, maybe two or three in common, and then like four and five, just like any top five. Sometimes the top three are easy, then four and five are always fluid. No, I mean, we would we disagreed on almost all of them. Everything like she had uh, like she has and I love Thor Ragnarok. She has Thor Ragnarok in her top five. No, uh, no, 
What else is she have in the top five that wasn't that wasn't in mind? Bottom line, the one that we always the one we agree on is Winter Soldier. All right, so for me it goes Endgame, um, Infinity War, Winter Soldier, uh, Civil War, and Black Ooh, Panther. Goodness. That that that's I, I'm pretty. I think that's my top five. I think you put me on the spot again because I hadn't thought about it since yesterday. But I think that's my top five. Yeah, yeah. Am yeah I I, any glaring I, I, omissions? You. Any glaring omissions? Um. Doctor Strange, Doctor, I, I, I'm sorry. Doctor Strange is such it's a great a movie. Good movie. Love it's it. It's just so good. Love it. Love it. It's got to be in top. Love five. it. You, you no pushback from me. Five, five or four. Yeah. And then you know what? Okay. What may have cracked it? Black Widow, maybe, maybe not. Nah, it's too much. It's too much. No, 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 no. It was good. Excellent. But no, it's not top five. All right. Yeah. Well, it was good. So yeah, it was really hey, look. Good. Look, flaws, I'm excited, and there's so many things off of this, off of this, uh, off of this movie. It's the movie coming out itself. It's the actors involved, as you mentioned. Then the other thing is, this new era. I'm gonna hurt somebody's feelings here, or maybe hurt somebody's bottom line. I'm not sure. Uh, maybe both. This new era where movies come out, and you don't necessarily go to the movies. Like I'm all for. Actors, I want everybody to get paid. I want everybody to get their money in every industry. I'm just, I'm that guy. But just the convenience, and I love going to the movies, but the convenience of being able to sit down, new movies out, and you just push a button, mm-hmm. and you're at home watching yeah. a movie. I mean, it's amazing. It's amazing. Yeah. So I mean, listen, with all, with all due respect to Scar, Scar Joe and her lawsuit, I'm all for it. I'm yeah. I'm all I'm all for it. I I am here all right, to to is, watch. I, I it, plus you gotta you know you gotta see my basement now. Yeah, question. Then we gotta move on. What's up? I, I heard, I heard. I, I I saw the elements. I saw the elements in place. I haven't seen it all put together. Will you go to the movies again like you used to? Let's say okay. Let's just be optimistic. Let's look beyond 22 because we're still gonna be going through this situation in 22 if you believe the experts. Um. You know, we need boosters. We need uh, we need kids under 12 to be able to get uh, vaccinated. So we got we got we got a long way to go before we are clear of it. But let's say it's fall of 22, spring of 23. Will you hit the movies again like you did pre-pandemic, or is that just is that just over for you? Uh, probably done. Probably not. I just I don't see the need at this point because again, my basement. Not to flex, but I, you know, I've done a nice you job flexing. with the basement. You know, got the theater seats You're up, flexing. got the whatever I inches. You did a nice job with somebody did it for you. No, I did. Well, I paid for it. Um, and okay, there we go. Yeah, I mean, why? I don't, why do I need somebody kicking my chair? Why do I need somebody talking? Why do I need somebody's phone going off? You know, it's like I'm at the crib. Might as well just do it at the crib. Um, but I mean, needless to say, man, like that made that made my night last night. I am. Super excited for uh, Spider-Man: uh, No Way Home. I have so many questions. Can't wait for more trailers. Uh, Got to read all the think pieces and whatnot. But speaking of Spidey sense, speaking of Spidey sense, mine is tingling, Michael Holly. My Spidey sense is okay, tingling. Okay, here we go. About a story that we have not talked about. Uh, an individual have talked about nearly as much as we did earlier in the off season, or you know, and, and obviously throughout the summer. And that is one Deshaun Watson. Um, mm. Currently, but not for long, quarterback of the Houston Texans. 
Um, my spidey sense is tingling because it's it's really quiet on the Deshaun Watson front, or it seems quiet on the Deshaun Watson front. It's like it's like there's been no movement. Everything is just in limbo. And realistically, how long can that last? Okay, um, something's got to give. The NFL is not going to make this easy on the Texans by placing Deshaun Watson on the commissioner's exempt list. And I'm strictly talking football here, okay? The the civil okay. process, I'm not a lawyer and I'm not about to play one on TV. The civil process, the criminal process, the 22 civil complaints, the 10 criminal complaints, I believe the numbers are. That's a process unto itself and there is no definitive timeline when it comes to that, right? Football-wise, it is time to poop or get off the pot. Obviously, the, the phrase is different, but I'm cleaning it up for family purposes, right? It's time to poop or get off the right. pot. He's not going on the commissioner's exemplist because clearly the league doesn't believe that the the evidence or the accusations rise to the level of the league having to take action because if they were going to take action, they'd have done so by now. They would have done it. The they Texans would love to move on. The Texans would love to move on from Deshaun Watson. They I'm would sure love to uh, rid themselves of the distraction and, 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 and get a haul for their franchise quarterback who has not folded, who has not changed his mind about whether or not he'll play. At one point, there was reports saying, oh, the Texans are hoping that he'll come around. That hasn't happened, right? So the issue becomes, is there an owner out there? Is there a team out there willing to take a, a gamble? And with a lot of uncertainty or seeming uncertainty about where things stand uh, both civilly and criminally with the sexual assault allegations. Conventional wisdom is that a team is not going to trade for Deshaun Watson until all that's resolved. Well, that's not going to be resolved anytime soon, we don't think. So what exactly is the alternative? He can't live in limbo. The Texans have to move on. So I get the feeling, Michael, so I can land this plane. If I get the feeling, my spidey sense is telling me that there is a, there is a trade on the horizon. Please don't sure. hold me to this. This is, this, is, this is my gut. But I get the feeling. Well, don't hold me to it if I'm wrong. If I'm right, we're running this back. Okay? Deal? Deal. <laughs> if I'm that's, right, we'll be replaying this. I mean, okay? That's how I, that's them the rules. Them the rules. Yeah. Okay, good, good. But no, but seriously, like, I, I think there is a trade on the horizon because I think that a team like the Miami Dolphins is sitting there and they really, they've always wanted Deshaun Watson. Deshaun has always wanted the Dolphins. The Texans have vacillated between not returning calls and then returning calls and then all hell breaks loose and, you know, are they, are they talking or they're not? I believe that there's a trade to be made and my spidey sense is telling me that something's gonna something's going down before it's all said and done. I can't see a world in which Deshaun Watson just lives in limbo into the season, especially when there's the business. This is Nick Casario's first rodeo as GM, Michael Holly. He has got a roster. Right. He's got decisions to make major decisions to make about the roster going into the regular season. The Miami Dolphins think they're a playoff team and a Super Bowl team if they were to get Deshaun Watson. 
Okay. They got they, like they all have to get on with the business of trying to win football games. And this is not me minimizing or marginalizing everybody who listens and watches us should know that I have done nothing of the sort when it comes to these very serious allegations. But from a football standpoint, man, something's right, got to give. And if the Dolphins are willing yeah. to give up, oh, I don't know, hypothetically speaking, three ones and two twos to go all in on this roster that they've assembled three ones and two twos. Obviously, the Texans would jump yeah. all over that. If they need to build in some protections, build in some protections. Point being, I was sitting back last night and I'm saying to myself, damn, like, where is this going? We'll get we'll get a we'll get a press conference every now and then or announcement every now and then from the attorneys. But like the NFL hasn't done anything. So I believe that before it's all said and done, in the very near future. I think we'll get some resolution here. That's 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 just my spidey sense is telling me. My Peter Tingle, my Peter Tingle is telling me that the Sean Watson, it, he can, he's not he's not gonna be you know stuck in this web, if you will, uh, much longer. So that, that's just wanted to get that out there. Well, uh, since you got it out, I'm glad, and I'm gonna stick with the uh, I'm gonna stick with the theme. You said your spidey sense is telling you one thing. Well. Let's say your spidey sense is here and the Houston Texans are some version of the Green Goblin. They just straight hating. And so I think Nick Casario is seeing some of that when he looks in the mirror. He doesn't see himself. He sees lots of general managers from yesteryear saying, you can't tell. Hey, uh, 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 redeem me. Avenge me. You can't allow a player to run your franchise. Was that Willem Dafoe? Haven't I taught you? That was your Green Goblin right there? Yeah, right. Avenge me. That's right. (laughs) Haven't I taught you? Haven't I taught you better than that? And so I think that's really the question. Look, Mike, I agree with everything you're saying about a trade uh, for, for Deshaun Watson is quiet. And when it gets this quiet, that means something is going on. Right? The problem here... The problem is the Houston Texans. Charles Robinson, we're going to talk with him later. He was, I thought he he did a great job when we talked with him last week or a couple of weeks ago. And he said, must be last week. And he said, the Texans don't want to trade Deshaun Watson to the Dolphins. They don't want to trade him to the Broncos. They don't want to trade him within the conference because that, in his words, paraphrasing, that will mean Deshaun gets what he wants. And see, I, I just don't that's, like that type of mentality. That's such BS. That's ridiculous. Isn't it? ridiculous. Like, get, I mean, get over it. Like, if somebody, if somebody offering you he, three ones and two twos, I don't care what. I, I'll send right. him in a division for three ones and two twos. I'm telling you. <laughs> I'm telling you. If you, know? you know, if you know, you're doing the right thing. I like this is this is the way I look at it in business. I had a I had a situation, a business situation that has come up in the past couple of weeks. And, and, and my, my thought on it is, I don't care what it means for anybody else. What does it mean for us? What does it mean for me? Yes. And so if it's, yes. if it's working for me, all right, I right. don't care if you spike the football. I don't care if you, if what you're getting out of it, I know what it does for me. And that's, that's what I'm right. going with. It is best for the Houston Texans to trade Deshaun Watson and get as much as they can. And if the best deal is from the Miami Dolphins, you take it.
You take it. Do you want to move 100%. on? Like Mike, this 100%. is what we always talk about. 100%. You want to move on or not? You want to win or not? Or you want to go jail? Everybody says home? they want to win, but they want to win on their. Actually, that was a bad reference. That was a bad reference. That was a bad reference to make in this context. Sorry about that. I couldn't resist the training. What'd you say? What'd you say? But that was a bad. <laughs> No, don't worry about it. I just, I, you know, I, we always slipping right. in training day stuff. I'm, I, you know, it's very, it's very yeah. serious. It just was a, it came out instinctively. Forget I said it. Because we're Go talking ahead. football. Because we're talking football. We're well, we talking are talking about... football. Okay, yeah. Thank you. Thank you for the lifeline. We are talking football. We're, right. We're strictly between the lines. We're not talking about the Thank moral you. compass. Okay. We're not talking about the moral compass of um, yeah. Deshaun Watson because we just don't know. We don't know about anybody. But just in a football sense. The Texans, it's almost as if they're, they've held up this process for a long time. And I just, I, I can't get over this thought. Nick Casario, rookie GM, has to just be kicking himself, kicking himself. Like, don't, at that some point. he didn't point, do it earlier? Yes. Stop listening to the outside voices. Do you, you, man, Nick Casario, you're making $6 million a year. You are the envy. Trust me. You are the envy of many general managers around the NFL. You're the envy and the inspiration. Envy of inspiration for many general managers in the NFL because you got a salary like that. You're changing the game and you got to be there for a while or they'll be paying you for a while. So be your own man unless this is his decision. And if this is his first decision, uh, it's a big swing and a miss. I think he will be traded if they trade him outside of the conference because they're afraid of the AFC. They've already made a huge mistake and it's and it's going to reverberate for four or five years. Listen, um, again, I, I'm not in, I'm not as plugged in as our man Charles who we'll talk to in about 20 minutes uh, about this and, yeah. and plenty of other topics. Um, I, I'm just looking at the lay of the land and honestly, you know, what the inspiration for this was you want to, if we're being honest, no inspiration for this one. All right, let's go. Let's go. That's what we do. This, That's this, what we do. This well, not just not just my years of, of covering and following football and my, my my insight, my feel for the game, but you know, to be honest with you, I was in the game. Uh, my son Mason, my 13 year old oh, son Mason, pressured me. Oh boy, forced me into purchasing Madden 22, which I haven't played yet. I have not fired it up yet. I have not fired it up for the, I, I, on, on everything. I, 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 I told you I didn't, I didn't, I didn't let that narcotic alone. All right. I'm off that narcotic. Okay. But I bought it for Mason. And he was in franchise mode Five Eastern and I was like, Five oh two Eastern. If I was franchising, I'm the type of guy that I would get the Texans because you know, I like to build stuff from the ground up, you know, so I would move to Sean. Get those picks. So that's what got me to thinking like, yo, what is going on? Like, what are we doing here? You know, like, what are we doing with Deshaun Watson in real in real life? As we say, like, is, is he just going to be inactive every week? I mean, are they going to suspend him? Is he going to fake an injury throughout the course of the year? Like, what exactly is the course of action? I'm not saying that that should offset the huge gamble that it would appear to be on the surface to trade for somebody with so many so much baggage and so so many things so, so many uh, questions off the field. But when it comes to his availability, the NFL has already made its its stance known. He is 
free to partake in all team activities. It's amazing. All team activities. They're they're not going to bail him out of the situation, which the Texans thought they were going to do. They're not going to bail him out. Something's got to give. If and I and I and I, I am one hundred percent in agreement. I've said it. If if somebody like the Dolphins gives them something even 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 close to that, that's the market value for him. But even close to that, the Texans, for their own sake, have got to do it. Something's got to give, especially if somebody's going to give you anywhere close to uh, a decent to good return for Deshaun Watson at this point if you're Houston, because they ain't playing for me. A couple things as I hear the music play. A couple things, rightfully so. The music's playing. I like that. A couple things before we go to break. One, I don't think you can last until September 1st. As a matter of fact, I don't think you can last to the end of the week. You will be playing. You'll be in franchise mode if I take you at your word that you haven't done it already. And I'm 50 50 on that. Quite honestly, I'm just going to tell you straight up. I'm 50 50 that you haven't played it. I got the and you know, technically, franchise mode is not playing. I think you have been on the game. Maybe you haven't played gameplay, right? Is that technicality? Okay, all right. You no, won't last. No, I'm telling you. Bro, I first. wouldn't lie to you. I wouldn't lie. September I wouldn't 1st. lie. Oh, I, I could be. You ain't gonna that. last another week. Okay, we'll see. Report back. Yeah, well, Report back. I've been in his presence. And then I've been in his presence and have not been tempted. Okay. I've been in the basement. I've okay. seen it. Okay. I have not been tempted to pick up the And the other thing is, I'm telling you. Other thing is, I want to ask Charles this. This is what I ask Charles this when he, when he comes up in 20 minutes. Who wants to move on more, the Texans or Deshaun? That's it. That's the question I have for Charles. Who wants to move on more, them or him? Probably Deshaun. Because if Deshaun was like, you know what, I changed my mind, I think the Texans would, would be like, okay. Yeah. All right, Mike. Uh, it's from Mike Florio, uh, headline on PFT. <laughs> and, and, and Florio says this Newton situation highlights the different rules for vaccinated and unvaccinated players. I think that's being polite. And I'm going to take it a little further than that. Okay, I, I think before I take it further, Mike, I think I just need to just put my cards out there and tell you where I stand. When it comes to this debate on vaccinated and unvaccinated players, the debate ends very quickly for me. I don't think there should be a debate. I think get the vaccine. I mean, that's the easiest thing to do and the most scientific and sensible thing to do. Now, oh, 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 I know what you're thinking because everybody's always got um, a, a, but what about this? Or they got an exception. They got an exception. What if... Hey, hey, you know, what if Cam is uncomfortable with, you know, I heard somewhere in Texas, somebody got heart palpitations. Or I heard that it does this or it doesn't work. Hey, there's, there's this, this thing is breakthrough infections. What about that? There's a lot of misinformation around the vaccine. So I think it starts right there. And if I were running a private company, I'm going to tell you, I would, I would, it, I would mandate it. If I'm running a private company. You are required to get the vaccine to do business here. And if you don't want to do it, that's fine. That's fine. You know, 
Go somewhere else. As, 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 as one of Michael uh, Smith's great colleagues said, go somewhere else and be great. Go, go be <laughs> you great somewhere else. don't have to be else. great here. Yeah. Go, go, go be great somewhere else. So that's where I stand on it. And also, for those, and I know there are some people who have deep religious convictions, that, like, re, like really deep religious convictions, and they don't believe in it. They don't believe in a vaccine. Now, as a religious man, as a Christian, I will tell you this. It's that old saw, that old story. Many preachers have closed down sermons with this and, and closed down the house. Everybody's shouting, get a Hammond B3. People start dancing uh, in the aisles on this. And that is, they're telling the story of uh, a man who was waiting to be rescued, waiting for God to rescue him. I think it was a flood. Hey, you know, I, I'm going to wait for God to rescue me and keep waiting for the voice of God. Somebody comes by in a boat, said, nope, nope, I'm waiting on the Lord. And eventually that person drowns. And they say, well, uh, it gets to heaven and says, well, God, why didn't you rescue me? And God says, well, who do you think sent the boat? The point being, God uses people. God uses scientists. God uses doctors. That's the way I feel. I come from that position that, yes, the Lord will take care of me in, in, in the form, at times, of science and medicine. So, look, 90, I know there's always a 2%, the 3%, hey, you're not factoring, factoring in this or that. For the most part, take the vaccine. It is better for you. So for Cam Newton, I just don't understand this, brother, man. I'm, I'm really just, I'm telling you. Last year, he got COVID. This year, with an opportunity, yeah, probably uh, probably to, cost him to, last year, cost him last year. Yeah, too. It cost him he last year. He was rolling year. before he got COVID. And yeah, as a friend of ours, you know him, and I know him well. We we uh, worked alongside him for many years. Uh, Tom Curran from NBC Sports Boston wrote mm -hmm. in his column. He said, "Imagine Cam Newton." Now he didn't add the New England part. We already talked about how New England states are in the top ten with vaccinated adults. Those twelve and above. Yep in the top 10, all six New England states are just doing very well with their vaccination numbers. But beyond that, remember the New England Patriots at the beginning of the pandemic, there was a shortage of masks. The Patriots sent their plane uh, mm -hmm. to China to bring back masks to the United States. Uh, the Patriots have uh, opened up Gillette Stadium and have vaccinated more than 600,000 people. So this is an organization that's all about the vaccine, and yet their quarterback mm -hmm. twice in the last calendar year has done something vaccination-related that, that has been a negative for the team. So, look, I think Mac Jones is the best quarterback anyway. It's just a shame that Cam Newton is just so casual when it comes to this that... You know, I'm not going to blame him for last year for getting COVID. Okay. But I'm certainly going to okay. blame him right now for not being diligent enough, not being diligent enough to take care of business in the most critical part, the most critical point of, of, his, uh, yeah. of his job. The most critical week of the summer is this one. Yeah. And he's going to miss yeah. three of the four days that they're going to be going head to head with the New York Giants. I think it's I think it's pitiful and shameful. You know, I don't I don't have a direct rebuttal. Um, 
I share, as you know, I share your frustration and exasperation with the unvaccinated. Um, and I, we talked about this the other day. I, it puzzles me that professional football players in particular, who part of their livelihood is compromising their health. I mean, they compromise their health every time they step on the field. But football players are legendary, whether it's Ronnie Locke cutting off a finger or whether it's taking painkillers or whether it's taking shots or whether it's ignoring doctor's orders or playing injured or playing hurt or playing through pain. They are legendary for doing whatever it takes to be available. Okay, so, you know, this is where, you know, people talk about stick to sports. This entire vaccination conversation, by the way, you know, I know the Falcons hit 100%, whether they had to cut people to do it or not. But the vast majority of NFL players, vast majority, high 90s, have at least one shot. So this is, you know, the Cole Beasley's and the Kirk Cousins and even the Cam Newtons of the world. They're like, they're, they're not the majority. They don't represent the entire the, the players. But right. for me, right. NFL players um, being reluctant to do what it takes to be available, um, it, it, it puzzles me. This is where religion, this is what I was saying. This is talking about stick to sports. Religion and politics are invading the locker room. Because this this is nothing but religion and politics interfering with well, workplace not requirements, but uh, workplace suggestions or workplace encouragement to get the vaccine. So, having said all that, Michael, um, I think what we have to do, though, I don't think your commentary was entirely fair as it, as it comes to Cam Newton. When it comes to Cam Newton, okay. Because I, I, I'm going to I'm going to read the statement. I'll, I'll I'll tell you why, and not that he doesn't deserve blame. But it's not solely his fault because I've seen several reports today um, suggesting either a level or varying levels of frustration and even misleading headlines because, you know, I'm a, I'm a copy editing snob misleading headlines that say Patriots frustrated with cam on the contrary. The reports are that they are frustrated with this cam Newton situation. So now I refer to the statement from the Patriots on Saturday. Cam Newton traveled to a club approved medical appointment that required him to leave the New England area. He received daily COVID tests, which were all negative due to a misunderstanding about tests conducted away from NFL facilities. And as required by the NFL NFL PA protocols, Cam will be subject to the five day entry cadence process before returning to the facility. Cam will continue participating virtually in team activities and return to the club facility on Thursday, August 26. Point being, the organization acknowledges that this is a club approved medical appointment, which makes this an organizational failure. Cam not getting the vaccine is a personal choice. Cam running afoul yeah. of the of the COVID protocols is an organiz organizational failure. So Bill Belichick's frustration is probably with these. Oh, these Damn COVID protocols. Oh my God. It's just, uh, can you make up your mind? He took tests every day. You got negative every day. What more do you want? Okay. So, all I would caution is that all of us, whether we're commenting on it, observing this situation, whatever it is, we make a distinction and a delineation between judgment, which I'm okay with, because I, 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 I side eye people who aren't vaccinated too. Judgment and Discipline, because I view this Cam, I view Cam Newton's yeah. absence. You said it yesterday. 
This is gonna open the door for Mac Jones to take the job. Somebody asked Bill Belichick, I believe today, is this a big week for Mac Jones? To which Bill Belichick replied, it is, which is different than Bill Belichick volunteering. It's a big week for Mac Jones. It's a fundamental difference in those two things. Okay, so you said yesterday, Mac Jones is going to take the job. If Bill Belichick were looking for a reason to elevate Mac Jones in the same way that you're looking for a reason to get the rookie on the field, then this is it. If he were looking for a reason, an explanation or an excuse, he now has it. I don't think he wanted it. I don't think he needed it. I think Bill Belichick is going to treat this exactly like what it is, which is the equivalent of an injury. If Cam Newton sprained a shoulder, if Cam Newton tweaked an ankle and was missing three, four joint practices, nobody would be talking about this with the same level of disgust and disappointment. They may still be saying it's an opportunity for Mac Jones to seize the day, which obviously it is. It's a big week for Mac Jones, a big week for all of them. It's a big week for all of us. We've got a chance to go to work and prove ourselves. So no, no stuff, right. Sherlock. It's a big week for Mac Jones. But I don't believe that Bill Belichick is going to sit back and say, damn it, Cam Newton, you have compromised your availability. You have compromised the team. Therefore, Mac Jones, it's your job. Or he's not going to give extra credit to Mac Jones because he's vaccinated and Cam is not. I think Bill Belichick will take these practices from Mac Jones, add into the overall evaluation, and make the same determination he would had Cam Newton gotten hurt and not run afoul of a COVID protocol that the Patriots, according to their own statement, didn't fully understand. Well, let me just say this, just for context, for the, I know you know this, but for those who don't know the Patriots, the Patriots lie more than your most trifling neighbor. I mean, they just lie. <laughs> they lie all the time. They do. You know that's true, right? Fair enough. <laughs> right? No, I'm, no, I'm, no I'm laughing. You know why I'm laughing? No, I'm, la- I'm laughing because you let me go through that whole thing. It was like, let me just say this. <laughs> the Patriots. Like, Mike. Like, you know what? You that sounds them. great, Mike. But here's what you're forgetting. You, know <laughs> you covered them. They, co- they lie all the time. Touche. And Touché. here's the thing yesterday. They lied yesterday. Like Bill Belichick was sitting there. He knew at the time. He knew at the time when he met with the media on Monday. He knew that Cam Newton was not going to be available. He knew all this. So he's making jokes and reporters are like, hey, why don't your dog ask a question? You know, and they, the guys are like, wow, Belichick's in a great mood. And then when their availability is over, boom. <laughs> That's what he. Throws out the well, statement. That's not lying. That's when he hits him. Hey, that's not lying. Okay. Nobody asked hey, the camp. If uh, nobody asked hey, the okay. cam, you know, miss the COVID test. Like I mean, eh, that was that not. A speci- eh. That was not. A, it's an omission. It's an omission. It's a lie. He, he omitted some <laughs> hey, key information. Ask. Did he lie? No. Did he tell you everything? Did he reveal ba- everything ba- that he had? Bears didn't. Bears did not tell somebody to ask that question. Bears didn't tell somebody right. to ask the right question, so they didn't ask the right question. So hey, what you gonna do? You know. But I think I think in the case of club approved, was it club approved? Sure. For, from my understanding, it was the frustration is with Cam not going to the right place. It came down to this: he thought he could go to a certain facility to get mm-hmm. this test. To and it was not. He went to a facility. Who knows where it was? But he thought he could go to this place. 
and it would be a proxy for uh, an approved place, and it was not. Therefore, yeah. since he went to some place that wasn't credentialed, that wasn't certified, so mm -hmm. to speak, it cost him mm -hmm. five days mm -hmm. at the worst time. Yeah. Uh, okay, is it no, like he's got to be responsible for that? Sure. Yeah, he's got to be responsible like for that. I, mean, I just went players. through it going to Hawaii. You you would not you you would you have that you responsible for what you put in your body. Like you have no idea the hoops you got to jump through to get to Hawaii right. to prove that you're vaccinated. It's it's, it's like I was like I I just stay in my backyard, Sarah. I don't need to do this. Point being, yes, he bears responsibility for that. Okay, he, he definitely does. And, and thank you for that additional insight. But because we're still all of us are still figuring it out as we go along, not only with this disease. But with this process, specifically the NFL and its players, I just find it hard to believe. And, and listen, you, you know the man better than I do. I find it hard to believe that Belichick would let this cloud or contribute to his decision making when it comes to who's the best quarterback. Now, if Matt Jones takes a leap over these next few practices and, and continues to show rapid improvement and makes Bill Belichick change his mind, then yes, like we like you said yesterday and like many are saying this opened the door and he walked through it and he sees the day. But all things being equal, I just don't see this hurting Cam Newton other than he's not on the field, which like I said, could have happened in a variety of ways. He could have gotten sick the old fashioned way, the more traditional way. He could have sprained an ankle. He could have helped anything. But so far, and at least in Bill Belichick and Josh McDaniel's eyes, it seems like Cam has been still been the better quarterback. Will that be the case come week one? We'll see. Will that be the case come week five? Like whether it's Justin Fields, whether it's Trey Lance, whether it's any of them that are in competitions with veterans right now. Mac Jones, I keep saying it's going to be their job sooner or later. So yeah, what are we tripping? Well, and this is something that I mean, we'll, we'll talk about. Uh, down the road, I'm sure, uh, depending on how the 2021 season goes for the Patriots. But I do have to wonder, it's almost like, to bring it back to relationships, we love talking about relationships uh, on this show. This show is, is based on uh, a long-time a long time relationship. But it's, you ever go back, and, and, and you don't have to answer this out loud, answer in your head, please. If you're listening in your car, answer in your head, especially if you're next to no, you, no, I'm gonna your boyfriend or your girlfriend. I'm going to answer it aloud. Or, Oh, or if you're next to your or if you're next to your wife or your husband, okay, you don't have to incriminate yourself, but you ever go back. You don't really be messing around about, like Eddie Murphy said, do you? <laughs> oh, that Ed, that Ed sure is funny. <laughs> that Ed sure is uh, funny. <laughs> yeah. But you ever think about some relationships that fizzled out and how what your life became after that, like the decisions that you made mm -hmm. after that relationship, you just mm -hmm. found yourself careening, mm -hmm. you found yourself spinning, you found yourself getting involved in relationships that weren't good for you. And if you really do the paper trail on it, it all goes back to that relationship that went wrong. And then so therefore everything <sighs> went left for you. And I think that's what's happening with Bill Belichick and Tom Brady. The Tom Brady, not just Tom Brady leaving, even before Brady leaving, Brady at 37. Everything, Brady at 37, Bill Belichick's decision-making since Brady turned 37 has really led to some just monumental 
mistakes and errors of mm. judgment. You're like, dude, what's wrong with you? And what's wrong with him is that he hasn't been able to reconcile an aging quarterback performing well, Brady, how to replace that quarterback adequately, had Jimmy Garoppolo, gave him away too early. And now he's on Cam Newton and oh. Mac Jones. He's just spinning. He's not himself. And it goes back a while. Huh. It goes back several years. I like that commentary. Hey, uh, so we'll talk to Charles in a couple of minutes. In the meantime, want to go to break with some food for thought. Um, you didn't answer out loud. By the who way. is? You didn't answer. Oh, out loud. Well, I, yeah, I think about that. I do think about that. I think I think about everything all the time. Who for your money? Don't answer now. Take the break to think about this, Michael. Don't answer now. We're at, we may be answering on the other side, but just want you to think about it. Who for your money? is the best wide receiver in the NFL. Uh, number 10 for the Arizona Cardinals. I think you know where he stands. It, man, I miss going out there and, and lean the pack. Like that's that's fun. That's fun stuff. I haven't started a football game in so long, man. So I was just I was so excited to just get an opportunity to start and uh, lead the pack. I don't like missing those opportunities. Yeah, we'll see. I'll keep you posted. Yeah, I don't have a time frame though. I'll give you like when we we know what direction we're going, we'll we'll let you guys know, and we're not gonna, you know try to anticipate saying, hey, it's going to be midweek or next week. Or, uh, yeah, I mean, that's, I think, the best way for us to handle it. And it's kind of how we've always handled something like this. Um, but, but I was pleased with not just the quarterbacks. I was pleased with how we played as a team for the most part. Amos Winston looks fantastic last night um, threw a couple of deep touchdowns to, to Callaway who's going to be a probably a earlier fantasy pick than anybody would have ever imagined uh, with Michael Thomas uh, still on the men but bottom line is Jameis Winston looked like he uh, made a pretty definitive statement as to why he should be the starting quarterback over Taysom Hill who was was solid he was okay himself and uh, in his reps so Michael let me say this to you about this quarterback competition in New Orleans uh, before we bring in Charles Robinson in, in, in a couple of minutes. Um, there are starting quarterbacks and there are franchise quarterbacks. The Saints obviously had a franchise quarterback for a long time. He now works with us at NBC. Jameis Winston, once upon a time, was selected out of Florida State as the Heisman Trophy winner, as the number one overall pick, uh, to be the Bucks franchise quarterback. He is now vying for the opportunity to succeed, to succeed Drew Brees as the Saints' starting quarterback, not necessarily franchise quarterback. This is going to sound ridiculous and it's like, well, mm. Michael Smith oh. saying it. So what else is new? But like, this is going to be right, a, a stretch even for me. It's going to be a stretch even for me because okay. it goes against all conventional wisdom and everything we think we know about football. This is just my gut talking. I told you about my spidey <laughs> sense earlier in the show about Deshaun Watson. <laughs> this is just 
This is just what? Why you? Why, <laughs> what? What I said? You, you swallow spit or you laughing go for ahead, real? Go ahead. Or it just went down the wrong. No, pipe? no. I just went down the wrong. I pipe? got choked up. I really got choked up for real. Oh, you okay? You good? I'm All good. Right. Um, got some water over here. Yeah. And I. Ooh. <laughs> 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 I don't. I don't know if anybody gets these references. Reference. If they don't, too bad. That's a too great bad. reference. That is brilliant. <laughs> That's brilliant. <laughs> and, uh... <laughs> oh man, rest in peace. I don't even want to oh. use the word because you know, rest in peace to, with Jamie Foxx, man. Go ahead. Anyway, go ahead. Um, what, what was I saying? She oh, said... this is a stretch even for me. <laughs> this is this rocks and blunts, <laughs> ribs and barbecue. This is even a, this is a stretch even for me. Okay, it's a stretch for me because it goes against everything that we think we know about football. Because the old adage is, if you have two quarterbacks, you have none. My theory is, right. my prediction for this season is that Sean Payton, Mister Super Bowl onside kick himself, who never met a substitution he didn't like, Sean Payton will be. The first credible coach. I ain't talking about Steve Spurrier, but the fir- first credible coach, okay, and the first accomplished coach to put that adage to the test. Because I believe in Sean Payton's mind, if I have two quarterbacks, it means I have two quarterbacks. I don't assume anything when it comes to Sean Payton, least of all that he will abide by conventional wisdom. Sean Payton, mind you, last year, everybody assumed that Drew Brees would be the starter, and then he went to Taysom Hill. Now, what he should do is start Jameis Winston so that Taysom Mill could continue to be the Swiss Army knife. But as we bring in Charles Robinson from Yahoo Sports, who's standing by to correct me, Charles Robinson, I believe that what you'll see throughout the season is extensive, ser- uh, extensive appearances, package, feature roles for Taysom Hill, maybe even some starts, maybe even some surprise starts here and there. But I believe that Sean Payton is going to come as close as anybody has to operating with two quarterbacks. He may even treat the quarterback position like running backs and ride the hot hand at certain points. But I'm just not convinced that Taysom Hill, who we know he loves, is only going to be a backup who runs some specialty package every now and then. I think he's going to try to run both of them out there this year because he already knows what he has in Jameis and we know he loves Taysom Hill. What do you think, Charles? Well, he had a Hall of Famer in Drew Brees, and look how much he used Taysom Hill, okay? Like, he had one of Precise. the best quarterbacks in the NFL, and he still is obsessed with getting Taysom Hill on the field. So why would that change with Jameis Winston? I would say in terms of the, how extensive this gets, it's going to be on Jameis to affect that. You know, if Jameis comes out the way that he did last night, um, if that's the real Jameis Winston, if he's figured out how to cut down on some of the mistakes, look, no one's ever – I don't think anyone's ever um, looked at Jameis Winston and said, this is a guy who doesn't have talent. He was the number one pick in the draft. We all knew he had talent. There was no question the arm talent was there. Um, There was no question that uh, at Florida State, his teammates rallied around him. Um, That was never part of the the equation here. It was just that Jameis Winston couldn't get out of his own way. And so the question is going to be, has spending time with Sean Payton spending time in the quarterback room with Drew Brees and Taysom Hill. Um, has that helped Jameis get to a point in his career where he cannot make the mistakes that were compounding themselves under Bruce Arians that last year in Tampa Bay? So if Jameis gets out there and he lights it up, I, I think 
you know, uh, Sean Payton's going to ride that hot hand and he'll figure out how to use Taysom in packages and maybe even at a higher percentage. So you don't see co-quarterbacks? Like I'm basically um, describing co-quarterbacks. You don't see that. You don't see co-quarterbacks for for somebody like Sean Payton who will buck the trend, buck the conventional wisdom. I don't. Um, I think. I think. Are there two? Is he looking at as a situation where he has co-quarterbacks um, at the moment? Yeah, I, he clearly is because he hasn't named a starter. Okay, like if one of these guys just had yeah. absolutely run away with it, we would have that decision by now, right? And and that hasn't happened. So. Um, in terms of could Taysom Hill get a spot start, you know, something to, to throw a wrench at teams, I guarantee you Sean Payton's going to give that idea to teams during the course of practice weeks, and he's going to make sure that he mixes and matches mm -hmm. enough during the course of the season that it gives opposing defenses. They're sitting there going, okay, well, we have to prepare for two types of quarterbacks. I mean, because they're not the same kind of quarterback. They, they're different quarterbacks. And um, that's not an easy thing for, for defenses to prepare for because you have to have mm -hmm. a exactly. specific you have to have a specific mindset and package for Taysom Hill and what he brings to the table and a, a whole other specific mindset and package when Jameis Winston's you know out there and then when they're both out there you so really you have in a way you have three different um, advantages that you have to prepare for because there probably are going to be times where and I guess this leans into your co quarterback um, thesis. You know that both of these guys are going to be on the field, and it won't always be Jameis taking the snap. Now, I, I'm not necessarily going co-quarterbacks, fellas, but I just want to point this out. Like I, we know that Belichick Brady is the more celebrated coach-quarterback uh, duo, but Peyton Breeze, that thing was together for a long time. And just Charles, could just comment on the weirdness of seeing, of knowing that Drew Brees is not going to be there. Like we've seen the Saints without Drew Brees. We saw it last right. year. He was out for what, four or five games, whatever. But to know that he's gone after the first time since 2005, 2006. Yeah. It's just strange to me. I don't know. Like, was it weird to you just to, to it, know that there's no Brees on this team? It's, it's, it's weird, but in a way it's exciting because I'm going to tell you right now, you're going to see um, a more distilled Sean Payton offense than you ever have before. And I, I, I think people know this. I'm, I don't mind saying it. Drew Brees changed a lot of stuff at the line of scrimmage that Sean Payton would send it, okay? Like, it was he, – he, there were a lot of passing plays that probably would have been running plays if they had gone in as designed under, you know, what Sean Payton thought of the game flow, where it was going. Go back and – if you were to go back and look at, at those games where Breeze was, you know, ratcheting it up 50 times, you know, when he's throwing 50 times a game, I guarantee if Sean Payton was being honest with you, that number would have been, mark, you know, markedly lower <laughs> if maybe things were run the way that Sean sent him in. But, you know, Sean also knows he had the rare quarterback that had the ability to check out of a run play and turn it into what he wanted, you know, given what the defense was offering him. I think you're going to see Jameis and Taysom Hill are going to run what Sean Payton is is ultimately plugging out there, and this year in particular. So it's weird, but it's also it's. I'm curious to see what this offense looks like, and know that probably 90 to 95 percent of what we see run is what Sean Payton's calling into the game. Uh, one more one more thing before we move on from this game, um, from one quarterback competition to a some would say a contrived 
uh, quarterback competition, uh, their counterparts in Jacksonville, Gardner Minshew, uh, Trevor Lawrence. Uh, I think I gave more uh, credence to the idea of a competition there than I think you did, Michael. Um, would love to know what you're hearing about Trevor Lawrence's readiness. We know how pro, we know how pro ready he was coming out of Clemson, but how ready is he for Week One, especially vis-a-vis Gardner Minshew? And also, maybe if you could tie that in, I'm gonna ask you a lot here, Charles. Uh, if you could maybe kind of just tie that in with the state of the franchise under rookie NFL coach Urban Meyer, who today lost his second first-round pick, Travis Etienne, uh, to a season-ending foot injury. Yeah, I mean the, the Etienne foot injury ending the season. I mean that's that's rough because I mean that takes away a pretty considerable piece of talent that they were going to have on the board, and I think they were really going to lean on this season. Um, you know, I think when you look at Lawrence and you look at Minshew, you can see the disparity in experience between the two players. I mean, like you know, look, Minshew's got a lot of starts in a short period of time in the NFL. Um, I, you know, I, he's had decent success, as you said. You know, there are starting quarterbacks in the league. I would say they're starting quarterbacks and they're starring quarterbacks. I think he's a starting caliber quarterback in the league. You know, do I think that's in the top 15? No, I don't. But um, what was interesting to me was I was texting with a guy last night um, in the league and he was watching the game. And he said to me, he said, uh, there are throws. And he says, he, you know, he basically said the media, he was like, you guys are going to miss this. But there are throws and things that Trevor Lawrence is doing on the field right now that because they're not completions, you're not going to understand how great of a throw that was or how great, you know, just there, there's things that as he was watching, he's processing it. He's seeing Lawrence do things that Minshew, he, you know, he's like, I, I know Gardner Minshew can't do that. And he's like, you know, you're, you're not going to see the level of success or what he's ready to be because it wasn't a completion or because what in your mind, it wasn't a mm-hmm. successful play. Um, I think that's an important that's conversation. It, well, and, it's a, and I think it's an important conversation because I think that's one that you have to have in the franchise. You sit there and you look at Trevor Lawrence and you say, if we put him out there now, everything may not necessarily be quantifiably successful from the standpoint of the eyeballs looking in. But is it quantifiably successful from our standpoint, what we're seeing? Remember, Peyton Manning, I mean, he threw a gazillion interceptions his rookie season um, with the Indianapolis Colts. I'm pretty sure he led the league in interceptions, if I'm correct, as a rookie. And so quantifiably from the outside looking in, you're like, man, you know, he was taking a lot of lumps that season. People probably forget that. Um, but for the Colts, the, they, they saw the success they needed to see. They knew what their bar was, what their measure was. So I think for Urban Meyer, that's what it really comes down to for Trevor Lawrence. Can we put him out there? Can he be successful to the level we need him to be successful for his development and not necessarily for the stat sheet? If that's the case, you probably want to get this started right away. If you're afraid that it's going to be below that bar, because that's sometimes I think when some negativity can start to creep in, like let's Mm -hmm. go back to when Eli Manning started off in the league in New York, the initial phase of Eli Manning was so poor, people immediately piled onto him and were like, this guy is like, oh my God, this looks like this was a big mistake. Obviously it wasn't. So where do you fall between those two um, sort of measures? What's, What's the, I think, what's the negative line and can you keep Trevor Lawrence above it? I know you got plenty more in your notebook. Um, let's have a successful show. Act like we're a real TV show. And uh, take a break, a quick timeout. And um, we're going to pick it up with Charles Robinson from Yahoo on, on the other side at the top of the hour. Michael, you're turning me into oh, a wow. radio guy, Michael. I feel like I'm Pro like, I feel like it's radio. I feel like I got a heart. Oh, my God. Oh.
Well, I don't know if you've heard this, but some unnamed team officials said that this is the year that people are going to be able to figure out Lamar Jackson. Have you heard? Did you hear that? Or what, what would your reaction be in hearing that? I mean, I'm going to keep playing football. We're going to see. But I doubt it, dude. I doubt it. I strongly doubt it. We're going to play ball. Hey, Charles Robinson. Look, that's what Lamar Jackson was supposed to say. I mean, if you if you come to him with that question, and there was a poll, I guess it was ESPN did a poll. And Not that you mention it. Uh, talked to some <laughs> unnamed people, and hey, Lamar Jackson will figure him out. Last year, he had a thousand yards, just over a thousand yards. I think he was ninth in rushing in the league last year, uh, and then the year before, he had over 1,100 yards and was the MVP, thirty-six touchdown passes. So figuring him out, I, you know, I don't even know what that means. Like, that's what Lamar Jackson, if I'm him, I'm saying, what does that even mean? Figure me out. What, you know, uh, what, what am I supposed to say to that? I think he gave the answer he's supposed to give, right, Charles? Well, yeah, I mean, of course he gave, he gave the answer he's supposed to give. But look, I grew up in Michigan, okay? And it was the Barry Sanders era. People figured out Barry Sanders. What the hell are you going to do about it? Like, like seriously, the athletic gifts were what they were. He could do things that other humans couldn't. And, you know, I heard all the, you know, I remember as we got toward the latter stages of his career, it was just stay where you are. And I don't I, I think it was like John Tierlink, who used to be the Minnesota Vikings um, defensive line coach, or he might even be the, yeah, he was a D-line D- coach. And he said, don't leave your gap wherever you are. If wherever he goes, just stay where you are. He'll come back. He's coming back, which was great. I mean, you know, I, I get it. I, that was the figuring this guy out, but it still didn't stop him from doing what he did. And I think realistically, um, what part of Lamar Jackson's game are we going to figure out? I mean, there are certain gifts that, that the, these great quarterbacks have in this era, the guys that are taking the league over now, um, off script type of things that how are you going to figure it out? You got a crystal ball out there. You're going to know what they're going to do before they do it because they don't know what they're going to do before they do it. So I think Lamar Jackson, personally, if you ask me, I think this all boils down to um, can he just develop the typical normal traits of a quarterback and not get hurt? You know, like to me, it's just, it's, it's a game where quarterbacks get abused, even though we've doing, you know, they're doing everything they can to keep guys from getting abused. Um, they still will. And, you know, can he not physically wear down over the course of his career like any other quarterback who does a lot of off script, st- script stuff and takes a lot of hits? I mean, I'll phrase it this way. I, I don't think the question is whether the league has figured out Lamar Jackson. It's can Lamar Jackson figure it out himself? And I know they overhaul their receiver core most of which is injured right now and not practicing from what I understand. Um, but Charles, I, I guess I would wonder wh- what are you hearing from people who've observed him? I don't, I don't know if, if Baltimore was on your training camp tour or not, but obviously you plugged in there. Like it, should we anticipate him take because last this was all the talk last year is that mm-hmm. he had regressed that or that dreaded R word and using young quarterbacks. Right. He regressed the league had figured it figured him out. It's like Will he take they, they again? They, they brought in a lot of personality outside for him. Will he take the next step as a passer this year? Is that the expectation? Have they been seeing uh, signs of that in Ravens camp and in practices so far? Well, to see signs of that, you have to have your full personnel. And I mean, I think that's part of the problem here is that they haven't had the full complement of personnel. 
Um, there's an element of chemistry that has to be earned there over, over practice time. And, and then obviously game time, you know, I hear things like you zone him up. Okay. You know, this is, this is how you stop him. You zone him up and you make him make decisions about space. When he's throwing the football, you make him see, um, you know, particularly when it's man, it's manned up, you know, you can anticipate what some, some guys are going to do, but when it's zone, essentially you got secondaries that are trying to trick you into throwing balls into space and not thinking that an individual defender is going to be there. You know, I mean, it's it's no different than any other young court. Again, we've seen three years of this guy. Like, it, it's – I and, and I think he reached that MVP level so quickly in year two that mm-hmm. what we thought in our minds was it was – this was Mahomes. Okay, he, he hit MVP in year two, and then it's going to be Mahomes, and he's just going to own and dominate the league. Part of that is overdone because of the rarity that Mahomes is. I truly believe this is like a once in a you know twenty year, thirty year kind of generational quarterback. Not that you know Jackson isn't great in his own right, but um, we're not going to defenses in the NFL live their entire off seasons trying to figure out the one thing that you do poorly or the um, where the easy um, weak spot is personnel wise um for your team you know like we you guys are so familiar with bill Belichick. what did he always do he always he said i'm going to take away your you know whatever your best offensive piece is we're going to give you this guy he's going to we're going to let this guy run and go do all this different stuff but we're going to take away this one thing that we know you can't live without and then we're going to force you you know to to adjust and i think that's the part of the game that when we talk about can lamar jackson figure himself out it's the it's that adjustment what does he adjust to as a counter move on the field, throwing the football, but you got to have players there to do that. You got to have everybody. The practice time's important. The game time's important. All that's important. So. Charles, I I told Michael, I was going to ask you this when you came on very simply when it comes to Deshaun Watson, who is most desperate for a trade? Is it Deshaun or the Texans who wants it more? Oh, I don't, there's no questions Deshaun. I mean, there's no, it's, I, I, I say that because I think that the Texans are sitting there and if he were making, and I'm telling you, this is from direct conversations I've had. It would be a completely different scenario in their minds. If he was making $40 million this year, completely different. You know, if this was their thought process of carrying $40 million um, and trying to hold out for the best trade package or opportunity they had on the table, it's a lot harder uh, to turn to your owner and go, we need you to continue paying this out until, you know, we can, we can get what we need for this guy. He's making, you know, like 10 and a half. Okay. I think it's 10.4. I, I, you know, I don't, I know I'm probably slightly off there, but it's, it's between 10 and 11, a lot easier. Oh, come on, Charles. That. A lot easier to carry that. You don't know everybody's salary off the top of your head. <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot easier to Slacker. carry. A fourth, a fourth of his worth. Okay, let's be honest. His worth is forty million dollars. Yeah. That's what Deshaun Watson's worth is than it is um, to carry a ten million dollar. Now, again, when I say forty, this all comes down to you know what would his base salary be? What would already have been paid out? I get it. Like I'm not going to get into the minutia of contract structure. It's going to put everybody to sleep. But the point is, he is an economical carry for the Texans. For Watson, you're sitting there, and today's out on the field, right? He's working out with a trainer. So every time he goes out on the field, my assumption is as a, as a reporter is if he's out there working with a trainer, it's 
he's got to pass a physical. So if a trade's coming, this guy's got to pass a physical. He's got to be out there working and being ready. And, you know, like if there's any kind of a physical issue right now, which is debatable, um, you know, he has to be out there running around showing teams he's healthy. And that's what I think of when he goes on the field. But, you know, you go back to last week and, you know, I think there was the moment where he had kind of separated himself from the team. And it seemed when I talked to, you know, people in the franchise, they admitted they felt like it was probably the most negative day um, just in terms of the clear separation. I, when you talk to people in the franchise, they would tell you going through that first week to play a preseason game changed some of the perspective of people in the franchise because he wasn't involved. He was not involved in prep. He was not involved in the process of the week building into a game. And once you start, once you start that, once the, do- once the boat sort of leaves the dock, you stop looking back to see who's still on shore. And you start saying, okay, here's everybody who's on the boat with us. I think some of the people who wanted Deshaun on the boat were just like, fine, whatever, we're, we're moving. Let's just go ahead and deal with what we got. Well, that's the long, thing. And, and long, this conversation started answer. earlier in the show. <laughs> no, 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 that's okay. Oh, th- but this conversation started earlier in the show because, you know, we were celebrating Spider-Man No Way Home trailer, official trailer release. And I was telling him my, my Spidey sense is tingling. My Peter tingle is going off because it's just and, and you would know better than me. It just feels too quiet and it, something has to give If the NFL is not going to resolve this for all parties involved and place them on a commissioner's exempt list because the evidence or the accusations or the circumstances or what have you don't rise to the level of some form of league discipline mild though that is by comparison relatively speaking like where does this go? It feels like because it's always that you talk about a boat and leaving the shore. Let's go calm before the storm. It feels like something's got to give because even though and I love your point about his contract not being an albatross that they can't carry into the season. It just feels like the, the Dolphins are, are, are laying in the cut. Deshaun's not changing his mind. The Texans want to move on. feels like something's got to give. So having said all of that, does it feel like anything is more imminent than the last time we talked. I know you haven't stopped working the phones on this. Is it, it, Are they going to go into the season like this? I, you look, I don't, I don't think if, if the compensation was there that they want, okay, and, you know, I heard you talk about the three firsts and two seconds. If that's the compensation that's on the table, let's be honest, the only thing personally, I think, because teams are starting to compartmentalize this, and what I mean by compartmentalize it is, first things first, it's, okay, what's going on in the various investigations? And then you get to the point where you turn and you say to the league, what is going on in 2021? So if your stance is like Rusty Harden's out here effectively saying they're waiting to wrap their investigation into Sean, they're waiting to do that final interview and tell all of the uh, criminal processes that are running right now are concluded, then that's probably going to, that's going to, take you through the totality of the 2021 season. So for teams, you know, that are interested in him, they're going to turn to league and go, okay, well, is he right? Does that mean that your process is going to be shelved throughout 2021? And thus this guy would be eligible to step on the field for us in 2021. Well, if that's the case, then that's one box you check off and go, now can we move forward with a trade and then process out all this other stuff mm-hmm. um, after that? So I think like if the compensation is there on the table um, and the league sends the message to be at the Dolphins, you know, maybe it's the Eagles. I'll give you a good example. When Jalen Hurts um, had the medical issue and he didn't play in that game, I'm texting everybody going, 
um, what's going on today? Like, why, why, you know, some, something, mm-hmm. this is weird. Like, is this a trade? Like, you're fighting something. You know, yeah. You know, I'm hitting, I'm hitting, I'm hitting people in the Texas franchise and I'm like, would you deal for Jalen Hurts? Like, if, would he be part of it? And I was told, like, no, like, no, we're not. We don't, we're not looking to acquire. We, we have the quarterbacks that we have. We're not looking to acquire a quarterback in a deal. It would be, you know, draft picks. And so every time one of these teams, there's something that happens. Like I said, Deshaun going on the field today and working with a trainer, you're trying to read into, is this sort of the precursor to what we've all been waiting for? So, but I, I really truly believe that a big component of this, and I and I I truly believe there's a reason why Rusty Harden said what he said at his at his most recent press conference where he talked about the league investigation is teams questioning, will he be on the field for us in 2021? Like if we're going to, if we're going to take this on and go through the PR inferno and, and everything else and have all the questions asked of us, which I told you, you know, I think it would be a, a ballsy trade for any general manager and head coach and owner. If you're going to go through the fire of that, you probably want this guy in the field in 2021 showing why you were willing to, to roll the dice on, on his talent. So Charles, if you were doing the draft in your in your fancy um, football league where you guys bully people over picks that you don't agree with, I'm just saying, just throwing it out there. I'm over past it. experience. Um, but if you were doing the draft, if you're doing this the draft, Jason Witten in the first wait, wait, round. This is Jason Witten, right? This is the I knew he was going to bring up the Jason, Jason Witten. <laughs> Not even prime Jason Witten at that. It's like let's never forget that nine yards to catch Jason, Jason Witten. Witten. He was in his prime anyway. <laughs> If you were doing your inches draft, after catch, how long, Jason Witten, not yards? How long would the draft go? What round would you have to be in before you called the name of Jamar Chase? Oh, payback or something? Uh, before you called the name of Jamar oh, Chase, how long would that? Draft I was gonna ask him about that. <laughs> I was gonna ask him about that, dude. You stole my question and inserted shade. And in hold on, Charles, before you answer that, I was gonna ask you about this. And Mike, you know, we, we communicate over text, you know, that's what all the type it is. And he's like, I got one that's silly. Man, Charles, I'm so scared for me, for my sake. You got to understand the context of this question, Charles. Draft day, we talked more about the Bengals than any show in the history of television talking about the Bengals outside of Cincinnati. Because he was like, Penny Sue, Penny Sue. I'm like, nah, I get it. Get a tackle later, Jamar Chase. What he dropped three in a game and two in practice, but this is vexing my spirit right now. Please tell me some good news. Tell me he's the next Jerry Rice, and he'll figure it out after some rookie year drops. Please, I can't. I can't live with Michael Holly telling me I told you so on this one. Um, look, it's. I don't. I don't want to push the panic. Button. I don't want to push the panic button. But okay, you look at the Broncos. They take up the Alabama kid in the first round last year, and he has a lot of drops. Okay, and that. Was Judy. that one? Well, yeah, Jerry Judy. And it went, sorry, I should have said his name. Um, I feel like I'm talking to my buddies here. <laughs> it's like, you got to remember. I'm talking, <laughs> talking to everybody. To um, yeah, I'm talking, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, they take Jerry Judy. There's a lot of drops, you know, extends throughout the, the season, and it becomes a um, a trend. I would I would say it's important for Jamar Chase at this point. You know, look, you, got, you, you, you have to not let this become something that becomes a mental thing in your head where – and when you talk to coaches – about things like catches, um, it does become a mental thing in your head. You start to get – I always think of Moneyball when uh, um, – who was the, who was the, the actor? The, he was in the Marvel movies. That was the first baseman in Moneyball. Um, 
they converted him from catcher. And he oh, didn't Chris want to play Pratt. First, about, Chris oh, Pratt. He plays, plays Chris, Scott Hattieberg. Yeah, Chris Pratt. Yeah, 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 yeah. Scott Hattieberg. Chris, Chris Pratt's playing Scott Hattieberg in there, and he and 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 you know David Justice are are in the in the. Um, Stephen Bishop, the my guy. Yeah, Stephen Bishop. Yeah, and, and who, by the way, is a sweet stroke, obviously former baseball player. But they're they're in the little uh, cafeteria area, and David Justice asks Scott Hatterberg, like, "What's what's your biggest fear?" And he says, "Of a ball being hit in my general direction." And that's kind <laughs> of what when when receivers start having drops, stack up and stack up. Pretty soon, it's like. I think there's a mental aspect of it. It's like a fear of this, you know, okay, yeah. like this is, I, if, if I drop this one, especially if it's that first one, you know, you kind of go in the tank. But this is where coaches, I, and I truly believe this, this is where a lot, yeah, by the way, those all, all, those all weren't perfect balls, by the way. I, I, I want to argue, like, the three drops in that game, go back and look at them closely. It's not like they were perfection. Could he have caught them? Yeah, but I mean, they weren't perfection. The second one was the um, bad one. The, the second one was the bad one. The second one was the bad one. That would have wanted to look like he, yeah. Yeah, where he kind of, you know, tensed up a little bit there. But yeah. um, Look, alligator arms. Yeah. I think they hit, it, they hit his hands. This is how coaches, though, I think it, it, it's incumbent upon coaches to do what? You give them an easy one. You give them, it's just like Moneyball. They're coaching up. Let's go out there and coach him up. He's, he, he's making routine, you know, shagging routine grounders, right? And they're just ace, you know, Scotty H, the picking machine, right? Like that's what, and I know it's, it's Hollywood we're talking about here. But coaches build in wins, right? And it's and I think it's the same with quarterbacks. What do you do when a quarterback is having a lot of accuracy issues? You shorten the field a little bit. You know, you start to throw to the running backs. You you, you tell them look at the flats. You you draft a, a tight end who can be you know Mr. Automatic for him to help build those building blocks. And so I think for for Chase, you give him something easy. You know, let's show him. Hey, you, you've caught a million balls over yeah. the course of your career. This is who you are. Um, the one thing though, and I will say this, that I think is interesting is I wonder if that year off affected. I wonder if I always oh, wonder this, all, yeah. all the guys who are rookies Probably. right now yeah. and struggling because yeah. look, Penny yeah. Sewell, yeah. Yeah. Penny Sewell's had, had yeah. some, some issues there. Yeah. He ain't Anthony Munoz yeah. yet. So I wonder if that year off affects him a little bit. No, that's that's a fair point. All right, man. Hey, thank you uh, for all the time, Anthony. No, but we gotta let you go. On the way out, though, let's bring it full circle on receivers. D Hop put on t- TikTok that ain't no question he's number one. So on the way out, quick answer on the spot. Best receiver in the NFL: DeAndre Hopkins, Devontae Adams, or other? I would say I would say it's Adams. I like the I like the full package of Adams better. And by the way. The Patriots, come on, man. You can tell me they didn't know that rule. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> Misunderstanding. I, I, well, listen, you know I just, what? I, when I, you I phrase it that way. That. <laughs> well, wait, when you phrase it that way, because we know they know rules. They know them all too well. Oh, yeah. Right. Enough to right. skirt them and circumvent the them. Right. Yeah. No, I'm uh, yeah. I walk right into that, that one. Yeah. Hey, hey. Oh, when I, just, I misinterpreted the yeah. rule. Yeah. And, and and I just want to tell you yeah, that if you no talk if you talk to other GMs and coaches about about guys who are who are not vaccinated, they will tell you literally the screaming red flashing light that they tell you about the players as soon as you knew you were going to have unvaccinated players, they cannot leave town. So when you have your bye week, they can't leave town during your bye week. When you have an off day on Tuesday, they can't leave town. They have to be there to be tested. The Patriots missed that memo, mm-hmm. right? I don't know about that. 
just like he said, said about approved. They had to fall on the sword like that. Somebody should have told him don't go. If that's you know, the case, cut him. Hey, so that means hey, that means they no. told him no go and he went anyway. If, he shouldn't be on if, the team at all. Not now, let alone you, on the bench. Listen, if you really, if you really want, you know, what do you want for Mac Jones? You want competition, right? You want to keep competition. You want to keep pressure on the kid. You know, go out and have your best day every day. Congratulations, get some first team reps. Cam's coming back. Okay, he's he still looks like the starter. You know that. I mean, if you get rid of Cam, you're taking pressure off of Mac. You want that there? No, right? no, no. I'm, the I'm not saying they should get rid of him. I'm saying I find it hard to believe that even though they should have known the rule, that Cam defied organizational instructions and left town when he shouldn't. Have. That's all. Now but, listen, hey, I think it's appreciate. Don't y'all hear the music? Uh, real quick, don't y'all hear the music? Possi- I, think I know. It's possible Cam, I know. Cam I know. Didn't know. And I'm the biggest. I think it's possible Cam didn't know. Okay, fair enough. All right, fair enough. Thank you, Charles. We appreciate All right, it. Take care, guys. All right, Charles. Good stuff, man. Oh. Patience comes. Patience happens, but you have to have impatience. <laughs> like you want to get there tomorrow. You believe you get there, and then tomorrow comes, you're not there yet. Get there tomorrow. Tomorrow. No, tomorrow. And that's how you improve faster than everybody else. You just sit back like, yeah, I'm just going to wait my turn. It ain't going to come. Right? You got to be like, no, I want to get better now. I'm going to be the best now. Right? And the next day rolls around, I'm going to get there now. I'm going to get there now. I'm going to get there now. And that's how you get to where you want to go, man. Just sit back. Just wait. It ain't going to do it. I love it. I loved it. I loved the preparation more so than the than, than the competing part. I prepared so much. I knew what was going to happen. You got the core. I already know what's going to happen. But I loved the grind. I loved the feeling of my body changing. And I loved the feeling of you know starting out on the track and being gassed. And by the time I'm seasons rolling around, I can run all day. Right. I love that process, man. I absolutely love it. And a lot of my competitors didn't. You know. And they try to cut corners, um, and it didn't work out too well for them. But there's also other athletes that hate working out, like Serena. Serena hates working out. She hates it, hates it, hates it, hates it, hates it. I said, well, why do you do it? She said, because I hate losing more. All right, so there's different ways to skin the cat, man. Damn, I love listening to this man talk. Oh, my God, mm. rest in peace. Uh, today is August 24th, 824. Mamba Day or Kobe Day, if you prefer. Uh, yesterday would have been uh, the late great Kobe Bryant's 43rd birthday. We recognize that it's Kobe Day now. That was a speech or uh, a talk to the University of Alabama back in 2018, and he just was so full of gems, man. He dropped gems like he dropped buckets. Uh, speaking of dropping gems and brilliance and wisdom, uh, Torre is here. It's the nicest thing I've ever said about you, and it made me sick to my stomach to do it. So I will not do that again. Uh, but it's good to How see you, Torrey. Uh, we're going to talk about it. How another- long is the nicest Not going to last very long. <laughs> eight, Not eight. long. Michael, how many Not trees long. did you chop down over the weekend? How many what? How many trees did you chop down over the weekend? You look like a oh. freaking mountain man. What's going on, <laughs> homie? What's in there? Are there no razors where you just- are? What's happening? I'm just, uh, you know, it's, it's like what Chris Rock said, you know, 
You know, I, I, ain't, ain't no white person trading place with me. I'm gonna ride this white thing out, see where it takes me. I'm gonna just ride this out, see where it takes me. I don't, I don't know what I'm doing with it. I'm not making any decisions. Maybe I'll look like you one of these days. I don't know. Um, but no, we're gonna talk about another icon that you that you know an awful lot about. And that's Prince momentarily. Uh, you got a new book coming out, which we're gonna get Ooh. into. But first, we'd just love to get your reflections on on uh, on Kobe Bryant and um, you know how he you know, impressed I, you and and even inspired you. Yeah, no, I have I've had an interesting journey with Kobe because I remember him coming out in the draft and I felt like he was very arrogant and I, I was very off put by him and I remember him airballing uh, at the end of that first playoff series and I was like see you ain't gonna be hot you need to slow down young man like you you going too fast and yo when he started winning Cause I was mad. I was heated when that Portland Trailblazers series was happening. And I was like, yeah, we're about to shut this whole thing down right now. You know, because if they didn't win that, Shaq would have left. The whole history would have changed. And they roared back from what were they were down, what, 40 and like five minutes to go in the fourth quarter of game six. <laughs> something. Was like ridiculous. something like that. <laughs> something like that. And they, and they got it done. And it was like, damn, I hate him. And I never really hated the leader of the NBA guy, I think partly it's generational that I was a Jordan guy. So here's the guy who you, who the youngins are holding up as equivalent, maybe one day better than Jordan. I was like, y'all don't know. Nobody's going to be better than Jordan. And I was like, remember the Kobe commercial where he would like toward the end when he was like having different people in the audience sing how much they hated him. And he was like, yeah, I love hearing how much y'all hate yeah, me. Yeah. And I was one That's of those great commercial. Great commercial. He was definitely great on the commercial tip. And I think in retirement, as we got to see more of him, I gained a greater appreciation, more of him like as a person, like he really started to open up more as a family man, open yeah. up the chest more, the war chest more, to see the mental tools that he'd been dealing with. Um, I gained a greater appreciation of him as I keep seeing each thing, he had a, um, a Knuckleheads interview that was epic that I listened to like about mm -hmm. once a year. That's just like just the that eye of the tiger that he had was so powerful. And to learn how he saw retirement coming and launched himself into writing and trying to figure that out and then succeeded at it at such a high level even while staying within his lane, right? Because he yeah. did a piece about basketball. Yeah. So it wasn't like he tried to, like, recreate yeah. himself. One Oscar. But, yeah, but his yeah. basketball movie was so beautiful and so honest. Yeah. I was super impressed with him. And there's a bunch of interviews with him that are floating around the podcast universe that are, like, just gold. When he's talking about – I remember he talked about – on Knuckleheads, he talked about the first time he played Jordan. And he was like – okay, I want to see it. They called you Black Jesus. I want to see it. And just that attitude, because so many players are like, yo, the first time I played Jordan, I was so shook. Oh, my God. And his attitude was really like, bring it to me. Like, let's go. And then yeah. calling Jordan and being like, can you teach me some things? And he's like, yo, Jordan didn't share with most people, but he did with me because he saw I'm about that life. I'm about that Three yeah. workouts nobody, a day life that I could work out at four or five. Nobody was like, yeah. Nobody was no. I was gonna say nobody, Michael. Uh, and, you know, nobody was more passionate about anything, any craft 
in any walk of life than Kobe Bryant was about his. So yeah, just, just is, certainly certainly one of a kind in terms of passion. Well, and commitment. I, I wonder, I wonder, uh, Teray, as a um, as a Jordan guy, it, it, how did you feel about that information exchange? Like you know, it, it, like we all kind of set up uh, rivalries that maybe not may not be confirmed by the participants themselves. You know, like uh, we had the uh, verses of Earth, Wind & Fire and the Isley Brothers, and they're sitting around saying how they listen to each other's music. <laughs> they're like, oh, wait a minute. <laughs> y'all feeling each other. It's hard for us to take a hard stance because y'all are, are a mutual admiration society. How do you feel about that admiration between Jordan and Kobe? Well, you know, as somebody who, myself, who has gotten a lot in my career through having mentors and going to men in particular who are older than me and asking them questions about writing, about becoming an author, about working in television and gaining a lot from that. There's about seven or eight men who I can think of off the top of my head who really helped me figure out like next steps in my career and such things. I really appreciated and I saw the genius and the humility of someone like Kobe at his level going to a Jordan and saying, can you teach me more? And, you know, Jordan being like, you know, I'm not, I don't share with everybody. You know, Kobe also talked about Gary Payton. Gary Payton was sharing with everybody, even while they were on the floor together. And like, we might play each other in the finals, but let me break this down to you about how to defend the pick and roll. And blah, 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 blah. Like GP was like, yo, yeah. I'm an open book. I want to share all these things with the next generation. Jordan was like, I don't. So, so just think about him saying, you're so great that I'm going to share my genius with you because I don't just tell everybody. I'm, but I'm going to talk to you. That says Jordan understood, like, you know, Kobe was an important step yes, in the history of the NBA. From one genius icon to another. So uh, you already had uh, a, what was it, an eight-part uh, Prince podcast? Who was Prince? Yep. That yeah. was recently released. What you didn't tell us the last time we talked, because y'all should keeping secrets and whatnot, is that you were finishing up and, and publishing Nothing Compares to You, uh, your Prince biography, mm. which you, uh, uh, it, when, when, is it out already? When is it supposed to? Yes. Because I haven't gotten release my copy. I will have them. It releases, to, it releases today. I, I mean, I'm sorry. Uh, Seth Wickersham sent me It's Better to Be Feared. He sent me his book. Michael, well, Michael sent me his first couple of books after after the book, like, you know, four, five, six, seven, eight. He just forgot to send me books. That's okay. Torre, I didn't get wow. my copy, but nonetheless, Be you know, this is book Support eight, so maybe artists. that's why I forgot to send it to you, but I'll get you. Okay, so give us, don't give away too much, but we'd love to know, um, well, I'll, I'll even start it from your perspective. We'll get into what's in the book. But just from your perspective, we know what an aficionado and an expert and even a friend and a chronicler that you were of Prince. What did putting this book together mean to you personally when it comes to your relationship with Prince, your ongoing relationship with Prince? Well, this is based on about 15 some years of interviews with Prince and with all these people who were in his world from his youth to his heyday to his end. And I really think I got a real sense of the shape and the arc of this life and some of the key inspirations and motivations that propelled him from 
being a 13-year-old who really didn't know where he was going to sleep um, for a little while, to this superstar, to somebody who, toward the end of his life, was addicted to drugs and uh, opioids and struggling to figure out, you know, like, where am I going from here? And what, you know, what am I going to do next? Um, and one of the key things that helped me really break this, understand, like, who he was. At, when he's about 10 or 11, he leaves his mother's house. His parents had divorced. His mother had remarried. And he hated his stepfather. And he deeply disliked who his mother was becoming and how she was acting. And, like, later girlfriends would be like, you know, he would do a very mean-spirited, devastating impression of her that was like to them, like, mm. don't be like my mother. And his mother rarely comes around, like barely anybody remembers having seen her come around. Whereas his father, be as an adult, becomes part of his life and he's co-authored a bunch of the songs on, on significant albums. He's disliking his mom and his stepfather. So he leaves their house and goes to live with his father. So he feels abandoned by his mother. Like, why would you even let me go even though I was mad at you? His father, after six months or so, kicks him out for bringing girls into the house. So now he's sort of alone in a world that's so cold as like a 12, 13-year-old. Now he ends up at uh, somebody's house, Bernadette Anderson. He goes, lives with her throughout his teens. But he feels abandoned by his parents. And he launches himself into wanting to become a rock star as a way of almost taking revenge on them, of showing mom, see, I was a worthwhile person. You should have cared more about me and to get his father's respect and attention. Because his mother was a singer, but his father, his mother left that alone uh, when she started having children, him being her first. He was like his father's fifth child. And his father was still out in the clubs at night trying to play, trying to make it, trying to, he worked at Honeywell. So music was not his his avocation, his profession, but he was still trying to make it, you know? And it, it, they say his music was like Thelonious Monk, Sun Ra, very jazz, very abstract. Mm. And Prince was able to take the best parts of his music, of John, Big John's music, and, and impute it into his own. But he was a struggling musician. And Prince was like, if I become a rock star, then that will get dad's respect and attention. And of course, um, it did. And they reconnect as friends and, you know, wingman and like best friends when uh, dad, when, when Prince is in his 20s and he's a superstar. He never really forgives his mother. And he continues to be angry with her throughout his 20s, even though he invites her to a wedding. He buys her a house reluctantly. He invites her to the premiere of Purple Rain. But he always wants to keep her at arm's length, whereas he, he welcomes his father back into his life. See, see first of all, we just talk about this for the rest of the show, okay? We can talk about Prince all day. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to wait for you to send me a copy of the book. I'm going to buy it, Michael Smith. I'm going to support the artist. I'm going to buy it, too. I'm going to buy you know, the book. Personalized copy. Oh, no, sorry. Now, how sorry, about buy it and maybe. then get... Buy a couple copies, then get it signed after you buy and read it. Anyway, but I want to ask you this, Teray, because we're talking about Kobe and, and um, passion and sharing between uh, Kobe and Jordan. Well, it always stood out to me about Prince, and you, you tell me, uh, you know, what it means. The passion of Prince to have all that writing, all that good writing and good music in the vault, and the sharing of Prince 
where a lot of people, whether it's Shaka Khan or anybody else said, hey, you know, can I use this? Or he's writing a song with somebody else in mind. Can you just really speak to his, if it's generosity? I don't want to presume that it's generosity. Maybe it's ego. I don't know. But just the passion and sharing that well, we he from thought Prince. He thought that his writing was his best musical skill. So, it, so he's constantly writing, especially his lyrics. He's constantly writing. He's making a song a day. He's writing a song a day. It just pours out of him. It was a faucet that he could not turn off. And in some ways, he looked at it as a gift and a curse because the music is just constantly pouring out of him. So there's more music coming out of him than he can place on himself. So he's putting some of it in the vault. He's placing it on other people. You know, give from giving something to the Bengals to Sinead O'Connor, um, you know, Shaka Khan. I mean, he loved these people, and it was a way of honoring them and and bringing them closer into his world. But there was just so much music, and he understood like the time and Vanity Six function as alter egos because the time is more of that pimply street you know, like N-word side of him that he couldn't always express in his own music. And the Vanity Six stuff is the more feminine, sexual side of himself that he couldn't always express in his music, even though he does to a certain extent with the Camille stuff. Um, but, you know, this, this, so he sets up two other groups. So you would go to a concert and you would hear Vanity Six and then The Time and then Prince and... This is a whole night of music that he wrote and created and produced and, you know, probably showed them how to do the reference vocal and all these sort of things. And by the way, by the time the album comes out, the next one's already done, right? Because I always thought that Around the World in a Day was a response to Purple Rain, right? Like Purple Rain was this maximalist rock opera and then Around the World in a Day was more utopian it was relatively like smaller it was more of like an internal personal statement no no around the world in the day is completed before purple rain comes out so i mean like yeah this is the next musical mm. statement he wanted to make but he was not Man. responding <laughs> our reaction to around the world in the day it was done before we heard purple rain come on now Woo. hey hey That's listen to ray Sometimes I listen to Prince and I say, now all the things that you mentioned, and then I'll say, man, that's a man who's either been to church or knows about the church. Cause I hear, I hear all this stuff underneath it, man. It's like a spiritual experience. It really is. I want to ask you this though. Last time I saw him was probably late in 2013. It was in Connecticut. It was at uh, Mohegan Sun Arena. And uh, I think, uh, who was with him? Then uh, basis uh, as, as Spalding. So Spalding is there with them. She opens for Esperanza Spalding opens. And I'm telling you, this is the longest encore, the gap between final song and encore that I've ever seen. It was it was so long, <laughs> fellas, that yeah. I was asking security, hey, what's the best way out of here? So I was like, okay, I guess it's over. <laughs> then he comes back on like 40 minutes later, 35 minutes later, and goes another 35, 40 minutes. Long way of saying, where did the showmanship side, the brilliant showman, 
He was a brilliant writer, but also a great showman. Where did that come from, in your opinion? Wow. I mean, you know, it's definitely something that he learned. I mean, the folks talk about his capacity and his ability to learn and his ability to say, hey, what am I not doing perfectly or what have I not mastered and zone in on that and work to improve that. And in the book, we talk about there's an early show. Um, I forget when we're talking about, but like somewhere in the 81, 82 era, um, maybe even 1980, uh, where it's a, it's a terrible show. They, it's just a, just a horrendous show. And at that moment, he's with Des Dickerson and Andre Simone, people he'd known from Minneapolis since he was a teenager. And for whatever reason, they had a little bit more experience on stage. They could not write as well as him. They could not play as well as him. But they could perform more comfortably and more passionately than he could. And it's just a complete whack show. And, like, everybody fully admits that. And they were like, he had not yet figured out how to translate his genius as a showman. And, you know, he zoned in on that. And a few months later, he had that in the in the quiver as well and could just rock a stage as well. He'd been doing performing, uh, you know, since his teens. But, like, it took him a little time. But when he zoned in on that as a weakness, he eliminated it and was suddenly, like, one of the great performers of all time. Yep. Um, all right. I, the the smart decision right now would be to end on a high note and to say goodbye because you're well versed on Prince. Congratulations on nothing compares to you. But um, since I like to accommodate our guests, um, you requested to get in on this, this top five Marvel movie. movies. Uh, this is be uh, which is the oh, wow. polar opposite. Like as much as you know about Prince and, and a lot of things, wow. KD would say you don't know nothing about basketball. You know wow. less well, about Marvel. And so, it, it, okay. So go right ahead. Go right ahead. Give me your top five Marvel movies that uh, is and the, try to be nice when you do it. Okay. That is the lamest introduction I've ever heard on television. <laughs> and it's exactly. all total. When you see I'm the just, transcript, you won't understand how how weak the tone is of like, sure, go ahead, Torrey. <laughs> be part of the conversation. Because I'm not enthused. Because I'm not enthused. I'm not because we've done this exercise before. You're gonna well, say something A inaccurate, B not, whack. You know? Not true. Not true. So, so just but I you asked, so I'm I'm go ahead. Cinema and you're a nerd, like that doesn't mean that my opinion is wrong. But I love you still. Look, okay. I, I put some thought into this. And Did I you? think... Well, that's, that's, that's nice. It's considerate <laughs> of you. I did. I think the MCU deserves that. Um, I, you know, I'm not Martin Scorsese. I respect the MCU. I think they've made some great films. I think they've made some whack films. But we're talking about the five best. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, Black Panther is the best. Um, it's this extraordinary... Okay. Story with a fantastic villain, um, and and it's mm-hmm. really this utopian, uplifting story for so many of us that means more than just a movie. And to take our kids to Black Panther mm-hmm. was so empowering. I still get goosebumps when they are flying the spaceship into Wakanda for the first time, and you see like the goat herders, right. and it's like 
the tradition and the future in one moment together, both respected, um, and a great fight scene, a great sort of intellectual battle between the villain and the hero. So Black Panther's extraordinary. Sorry, not to be, not, hey, hey Torre, not to be rude, but uh, don't be James Lipton here. We got to speed this up so we can go to break. But you know, taking us <laughs> taking this out of Actors Guild Studio. Don't do the breakdown for all five. Just give us the five. So we can go, okay. go to break. I'll take <laughs> Infinity War number two. Um, I love Infinity okay. War. One of the best fight scenes. Two of the best fight scenes in the whole MCU. I'm putting uh, okay. Thor Ragnarok number three. One of the great villains of the okay. MCU. And, and, the, and the tone of Thor Ragnarok is really brilliant and funny yeah. and different. Um, I'm putting Guardians of the Galaxy 2, number four. Nice. And I'll put Civil War, number five. Guardians of the Galaxy. Right. That is the sleeper. Right. I love that. I love that. Thank you for too. saying something could, nice about I, Marvel. As... As we as we say we'll be hanging up the phone. Well, let me let you go, okay? And uh, <laughs> we're gonna talk to you later. <laughs> All right, bro. Thank you. Love you, man. Congratulations on another book, Thanks. man. Congratulations. That's good stuff. Fantastic. All right, peace, y'all. Can't wait to pick it up. Hey, before we go, if you don't mind, I'd like to reach over and and pick one of your feed items from today. Um, Anytime. Is this is this an ode to me? Is this a tribute to me? You have the smartest person on TV. I'm I'm mm. I'm flattered. I'm I'm touched. Uh, we were just talking about top fives. You're in the top five. <laughs> You're in the top five. But not number one. Number one is Rachel Maddow. Rachel Maddow. Uh, you saw Without she question. signed a contract extension. Contract extension with MSNBC and and Mike, we are both huge Rachel Maddow fans for what she does on oh, the air. Everybody can see and what we imagine happens behind the scenes. Like some of the things that she's oh. able to do, like you are, you are a TV. So you've been in the TV game longer than I have. You are a TV observer. Can you just just quickly tell people some of the things that she's doing that she makes look very seamless, look very easy that are Highly uh, difficult and challenging. She, I mean, first of all, she is the most brilliant person on television. Probably one of the most brilliant people walking the face of the earth. I, I, I love her so much. My wife, my wife knows. Uh, me too. I, I love her. My wife loves her too. So I'll appointment viewing at nine o'clock every night. I, she is so good at prompter. Like, I think I'm a pretty good prompter reader. I was convinced that she was not reading. That it was all off the dome until a colleague of ours, whose name I unfortunately forget. We saw him in Tahoe, in Tahoe, ruined the dream for me, ruined the fantasy, <laughs> and told me that she's actually having reading prompter. prompter, having prompter arguments uh, in Tahoe. I was so I was so devastated. Speaking of Rachel Maddow, I didn't watch last night, but I wonder if she has done a package. I'd love to see her do a package on the newest craze sweeping the nation, or at least sweeping black people uh, off their feet. The milk crate challenge, which continues. My dude, the Jordans, like. Bruh, I, the, the I can't get enough the of this. Nice I cannot get enough of the milk crate challenge. And I shouldn't encourage this oh. by giving this the attention. It's the falls. It's the falls. The people oh. who fall chest first. Like, 
I, and he's I need smoking. to know from Rachel or somebody about the internal injuries. Oh. I mean, right there. Like it's like damn oh, the, the chest. Like the internal the injuries ribs. that have to be suffered from the Why are we it's doing fault. This? It's like, oh my God. Why are we doing like, this? I don't it it looks so it looks like I mean, Jesus. And they all getting up and walking away. God bless them. Forget it. And nothing's on the line other than likes hey. and retweets and follows and whatnot. This is it's, it's I'm unbelievable. Like competitive. How long is this going to go? Including a milk cake challenge. I'm retired. I'm, I'm how done. long is this going to go? Like, come on. Torn, torn ACL. I can't yeah. lie, Mike. I'm tempted. I'm tempted. I'm tempted. Nope, do it. Record it. <laughs>